This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to another editor edition of Micro, a podcast for short but powerful writing. I'm your host, Drew Hawkins. Editor Edition is a special series that features editors reading their own published work in another literary journal. This installment brushes dust off of the dead in a border town, chips at an icy victim's internet searches, and answers the questions of an imaginary class project to reveal achingly beautiful truths, stories that are insistent and clinging. This first short poem is alive with dead and living characters straight out of a Clint Eastwood film, the dust still settling around them. Originally published by Ninth Letter and reprinted in Janet Burroway's imaginative writing, it's called Fistful, and it was written by Shane Griffiths, assistant editor at Barrel House and American Short Fiction. Enjoy. Fistful. The dead can be very useful sometimes. Clint Eastwood, A Fistful of Dollars. Sometimes it's all about how you wear your poncho, or the layering of dust on your boots, or how you sit a bucking mule while five men scoff from a high-barred gate. Where words unhinge from speaking mouths, it's useful to be the man with no name, or the dark-eyed woman clamped in a locket that laments its own opening. Engineer the corpses, and the dead are only sleeping, secrets ever burning on their cold, parched lips. All the Winchesters, all the Remingtons, all the six guns unholstered in this border town are not enough to kill the dead. Their stories hide in the sheepskin vests of the nameless living. Jane Griffiths is the author of the novels Borrowed Horses and Scrapple, as well as the short fiction chapbook The Heart Keeps Faulty Time. She edits Flash for American Short Fiction and short stories for Barrel House. You can find her on Twitter at Borrowed Horses or on her website at sbgriffiths.com. This next chilling poem collects the opinions of the internet friends, and mothers to investigate ice pick headaches and the hypothetically perfect murder weapon. It's called Ice Prick. It was written by editor-in-chief of Wrongdoing Magazine, Pascal Podvin, and published by Hecate Magazine in their volume two. I'd also like to preface with a content warning for implied assault and violence. If you feel comfortable listening, please enjoy. Apparently, 
No doctor has found the cause for what we call ice pick headaches. Those stabbing, shattering pains that enter the minds of their sufferers like me, then disappear in a hotter flash. They're not linked to any sort of brain damage, it seems, yet some say they might indicate a flaw in certain pain receptors. Maybe that kind of flaw would explain, too, why I still haven't run from you. At the bar with my friends, I sometimes admit that when I'm up to my lips with ice, you put me on my knees and you strike. You work away until there's nothing left but water in my mouth. They always urge me to get rid of you, of course. Skip the town if you really need to. But I think that I have too much love for a little Arctic Indiana. Besides, why should I be the one to leave? On the days that I still try to reach your good heart, I think of the summer that you and I went to the lavender field close to the library. My favorite spot where I used to sit and read or sleep. You'd lain down with me in that grass just like one would an epic novel, and you'd flip through my pages with all of the attention of a high scholar. Oh, so sweet of him, my mother said to me, later that afternoon seeing in my hands the flowers that I'd ripped from the ground. But because it is winter now, I only want to rip my brain from its own stem. I want to wring out my gray matter until I can find that goddamn ice pick, catch it in the act and remove it from the world for good. These last few months, it's come back to me again and again, usually as I've been walking the road to see you just like the butterflies that used to meet my stomach. If this disorder is not linked to my environment, as so claims the great internet, then why does it happen in such correlations, I wonder? Could it mean that you yourself are not really my environment? Perhaps you are truly the ice pick. Either way, I think that something was set off in me that day I arrived intending to watch those Marvel movies with you in your room. I think it was maybe that it was ten below zero that day, or the fact that you were using your scraper brush on your windshield as I sort of approached, or maybe because you looked up at me as you continued to do it. And in any case, the hearty pain came again, and I grasped my head with a new yell. Somebody said icicles would hypothetically make the perfect murder weapon. I think the logic was that icicles are sharp and they melt, which does make sense. At the time, I must have misheard. Pascal Potvin is the editor-in-chief of Wrongdoing Magazine and on staff of many other publications. She's currently sending queries about her book series. You can find her on Twitter at Pascal Palaces, on Instagram at pascal.francois, or on her website at pascalpotvin.com. Our final piece is an entirely imaginary story with imaginary questions and imaginary rubble that might leave an imaginary ache in your imaginary heart. It's called What If All the Oceans? It was written by Christopher Allen, editor of Smoke Long Quarterly, and published by Gone Lawn in their issue 34. Enjoy. What if all the oceans? My imaginary son is obsessed with rocks. 
He's learning about them in imaginary fourth grade. We've already made an imaginary volcano. You can imagine what a mess that was. What's this, he asks, holding out a rock. What's this one? And what's this one, he asks, picking up a clod of dirt, which not being a rock in the strictest sense, crumbles through his imaginary fingers. Oh, he says. My answers are variations of, that's a gray one, or that's a small one, because I know nothing about rocks, and I'm not a fan of I don't know. This one must be sandstone, my imaginary son says, and I say, then sandstone it shall be. Questions my imaginary son asked last week. Where does my breath go when it leaves me? Where is Wyoming? Will I melt if I get hot? What is Naugahyde? The last one he needs for a poem he's writing in his imaginary writing circle at school. His poem is called, Don't Pee on My Naugahyde Heart, Please. I don't think my imaginary son is destined to be a poet, but I may be wrong. Questions this week. What is green? What if the oceans were ketchup? Biggest smile ever. Are rocks alive? I'm ashamed to say I had to look that last one up. Turns out rocks, though they've been around for millions of years, are inorganic, like air and water. To exist is not to live. I say to my imaginary son, we share a laugh because we kind of understand what I mean. Ask your imaginary teacher, I say finally, and he rolls his imaginary eyes. When I was in fourth grade, I was obsessed with mazes, ferns, those bags of worthless stamps you get for a dollar from boy's life with Chopin runs and Jesus. My imaginary son wants to learn how to swim When he asks if the swimming pool can be filled with shadow, ketchup, or spring because they're cool and he's afraid of getting hot, I'm reminded that I have an obligation to prepare my imaginary son for a life far fuller than a real one, that he'll need to know how to swim in his oceans. My imaginary son's imaginary room is filled to the ceiling with imaginary rocks, each one labeled. Most are limestone. But there is the odd obsidian, one tagged igneous, ignoramus. Where did you learn that word, I ask? School, he says. Did someone say it to you, I ask? Because you are anything but an ignoramus. This one's metamorphic, he says, and holds out a rock. It was 2,000 degrees, but it's cold now. People are stupid, I say. Ignore them. Questions today. Am I dancer? Can I die? Do rocks die? My imaginary son looks to me as if I should know the answer to all these infuriating questions, and I do, though I don't want to. Rocks, I say, can't die. But I don't say, because they never lived. Christopher Allen is the author of the flash fiction collection Other Household Toxins and the editor of Smoke Long Quarterly. You can find him on Twitter at Christopher underscore all or on his website at ChristopherAllenWrites.com. Micro is edited and curated by Dylan Evers and produced and hosted by me, Drew Hawkins. Our theme song is by Matt Ordez. 
You can find all the information about this episode's editors, their publications, their featured work, and the publications where they were published in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and check out some of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also always find our shows at micropodcast.org, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast Micro. Thanks for listening.